Kristen, I'm going to quote Eugene Levy from Splash. As we always do. There's just so many, many times a day we quote him. <laughs> so many good quotes. But here it is. What a week I'm having. Oh, what a week I'm having. Oh, my God. We are having such a week this week, Rafer. So for starters, uh, in in the major news, two major celebrities die. Lauren Beloved Bacall. legends, yes. And Robin Williams. So of Shocking. Course, yeah, which I'm sure everyone has heard by now. So that was completely awful. And then um, on, a, on a more minor note, more in, the, more in the vein of inconvenience to us, mm-hmm. one of the week's big screenings, Let's Be Cops, new buddy comedy with Jake Johnson and Damon Wayans Jr., doesn't get screened for critics at all. Opens up on a Wednesday. No screenings whatsoever. And Wednesday just happens to be the same day that both The Giver and The Expendables 3 screenings are taking place for us to see. Right. And because... they conflict. <laughs> yes. They're at the same They're at the same time at different theaters. So how can two critics manage to see three movies in one day and, and a fourth movie? That's right. And then <laughs> how also did we squeeze in somehow viewing um, a new independent film called Frank with Michael Fassbender as, of all things, an indie rocker. You and I got a, a screening, a, a, a streaming link uh, provided to us by the studio that took so long to load up and, and stalled so often that I, it actually did take me four hours to watch the film. Doesn't the word buffering become a swear word after a yes. while? Aren't you just like, yes. oh, buffering. Buff you. <laughs> yet and yet, here we are. And we managed to pull it all off. And we're going to tell you all about everything that has happened to us in this Fakakta week. <laughs> but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Oh, Madrid, it's nice to see you. It's really nice to be here. Okay, Kristen, let's talk about the week's least auspicious debut, Let's Be Cops. This you, is... you, you don't think this is auspicious? Well, I mean, <laughs> any, any movie that is not screened at all for critics, I think, is pretty inauspicious. That's just, that's just my, that's my gut feeling. Yes, yes, there are Plus, some issues. If you've seen the trailers, you know that this film, you know, did not appear to be did not did not look like it had much going for it let's let's get the summary of this first out here okay so uh, what you have here is uh, jake johnson damon wayans jr they play a couple of roommates in their 30s as damon wayans says we're 30 as hell they've, they're living in la they've they've both failed to pursue their dreams uh jake johnson plays um Somebody who does nothing. Somebody, he, somebody who does plays, nothing. He plays football with grade schoolers, and he doesn't work. He he was going to go pro after college, but he blew out his knee, and uh, nothing's ever gone right for him since. Damon Wayans plays a video game designer who's shoved around at work. No one really pays attention to his ideas. Uh, they decide to go to a reunion party, a college reunion party. They think that it's a costume party. So they use some of uh, Damon Wayans' uh, cops' uniforms. They show up as cops. Because he just has cops' uniforms because well, it's work-related. Well, right. He's designing a video <laughs> game about cops. And uh, they show up, and it all goes so well that they decide to maybe keep the whole cop thing going a little bit. Here's a clip. I'm sorry. I had no idea that you were a cop. Oh. oh no, I'm not really a cop. <laughs> what do you mean? We're more I mean, than cops. Do not let that humble face fool you. And we all at the force talk about we think he needs a serious back massage. Okay. Oh, 
impersonating police officers. Good fun. Good right? fun. Good fun. Well, I mean, here's the problem. There are a few problems here. Okay. Number one, I think that our whole buddy, not quite cop material quotient has been filled this year by 22 Jump 22 Street. 22 Jump Street. Okay. We, and we have the first 21 Jump Street to look back on. True. And we have the other guys to look back on. So if we want to see These are all mis- good points. mismatched buddy cop movies where the guys don't seem quite like cop material, we have a lot of that. And I feel that you have got to try harder to be funny if you want to meet that level of expectation for audiences. And this is not very funny. Now, you didn't think the movie sort of brought its game. Is that what you're saying to me? Do you know what I mean? It like, did he, not, like it did not, and and I do want to get this out of there, uh, out there right away. I think Damon Wayans is so likable. He is really he likable is on so screen. So likable that I I felt sorry for him being in this movie. Jake Johnson is fine, but Damon Wayans is so likable that I actually kind of felt bad for him doing bad sexy dance scenes, yeah. telling jokes that were kind of borderline racist, and I thought. What are you doing in this movie, Damon Wayans? You're so likable. Get out of this movie. I Yeah, and his character in this film is not that funny. He plays actually mostly the straight man to Jake Johnson's character, mm-hmm. um, who is, a little to me, a little more interesting and a little more well-rounded. He's, he's the guy who gets a little too into this whole routine and actually wants to bring down a, a mobster ring that has been uh, strong-arming local businesses in Los Angeles. Uh, he's the one that, like, you know, keeps promoting, promoting himself to sergeant and then to detective. Mm-hmm. And actually, he actually gets a cop car. Yes, gets a cop car <laughs> on eBay, as I'm sure you've seen from the trailers. Um, I will say you're right that the film is not as funny and kind of uh, loose and wild and, and rowdy as it could have been. Yeah, it, it lacks a real punch, real snap, pop. Yes. It's all missing. Yes, and at the same time, I just want to say I went into this screening in a bad mood and I came out in a good mood. Oh, really? Yeah, I walked out thinking, yeah, that was kind of fun and kind of funny and, and the characters were sort of sweet. And so ultimately, I kind of liked the character arc, even though the movie itself was not that Funny. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I felt like Paul Blart Mall Cop was actually funnier, which wow. is really saying something. <laughs> that is. Although you're right, the characters are likable here. We have some likable characters, but likable isn't good enough to be a good date. You say bad date. I'm saying not very good date, yeah. I'm saying, you know, <laughs> skinnier teeth, okay date. I'm saying, you okay know, date. All not right. the worst date ever. <laughs> Let's move on to another movie that there actually was a screening for, Expendables 3, last night, which you saw right after the cops. That's right. right. I I walked out of that theater and walked right back into the Expendables 3. Um, So as if you need me to tell you this, America, this is the third in the Expendables franchise from uh, Sylvester Stallone. It's the one where he gets all the old aging action stars together, puts them in a team. There are a bunch of mercenaries called the Expendables. Uh, they're guns for hire, but of course they always wind up taking down the real bad guys. Um, they're never actually, you know, uh, assassinating uh, reformist politicians in foreign countries or anything like that. Um, you know how these things go. So uh, in this episode, uh, Sylvester Stallone actually fires uh, most of his old crew. He fires what? Jason Statham and um, Randy Couture and Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Hail Caesar, played by Terry Crews, is taken out of the action fairly early. I won't say anything more than that. 
And this allows uh, Sylvester Stallone to recruit a new group of expendables, young, young, fresh blood, and they're going to take down an arms dealer named Conrad Stonebanks. Here's a clip. That's not a clip, Rafer. That's just a bunch of shooting and yelling. That's, that's not even. The, is, that's is there the any dialogue three. in any of this movie? That that's was the Expendables Three you're talking about shooting. right there. Oh well, speaking of dialogue, there's <laughs> there, there, you guys. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting from an Expendables Three movie. It's just that is that is all you're getting. It's going to be it's fire firefights. Run! Oh, watch out behind you! Helicopter stunts. <laughs> you know, people snapping each other's necks. That's that's going to be the whole deal. I I, I was almost uh, you know you could really compile a list of uh, one-liners, and you can just go ahead and imagine what scene it is, right? Think they got parking here? (laughs) Good morning. Hi there. Would you like to hold my gun? I could go on. I could go on. You want me to keep going? All right. But I'm not going to. Anyway, you you know, you can see the scene in your mind as I say these things. Yes. Um, I'll say a couple things about this. Uh, the young actors they get, uh, Kellen Lutz from Twilight, uh, Ronda Rousey, who's a mixed martial arts fighter, are okay. They don't have the charisma of the older stars. I know that's a strange thing to say about people like Dolph Lundgren, but Dolph Lundgren's <laughs> been around and he, had, he does have a certain kind of something to him. These younger stars don't have that. They're not that much fun. Um, the guy who uh, really steals the show here is Mel Gibson, who plays the uh, the villain, Conrad Stonebanks. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, actually. He's just fantastic. It's just a it's a cheap, stupid role. And Mel Gibson just brings it to flaming life. And he's just great. He just snarls every word. He uses his body language. He's he's so much fun. And when he's on screen, the movie really crackles and it's great. And when he's not on screen, it's a it's pretty dull. And I also want to say the first two Expendables were rated R. This one is rated PG-13. Mm. So if you want all those big uh, computer-enhanced geysers of blood that you got in the past two, you're not going to get that. It's still lots of action, some decent stunts. It's pretty brainless. I'm going to say... I found this a fairly unsatisfying date. Oh, usually like explosions. Yeah, but you know, I've never been a big fan of the Expendables films. I've mm. always found them a little too jokey and stupid for their own good. But uh-huh. anyway, so not so great date on the Expendables 3. Kristen, give me give me the giver. Ooh, well, I, I love what a tag team we can be, Rafer, because last night while you were at the Expendables, I had to run off and go see... The Giver. Now, The Giver is based on the 1993 young adult novel by Lois Lowry. It takes place in a seemingly perfect utopian future. Everyone's polite. Everybody speaks clearly. Everybody gets along. And on everyone's 18th birthdays, the new world order gives you your special assignment of what you're going to do for a job for the rest of your life. And so our main character, Jonas, is given the job of being the recipient of all the memories that existed in humankind before this new society existed. Okay. And his mentor in all of this, the one who's going to pass along these memories, the current holder of the memories is played by Jeff Bridges. So he's the giver and Jonas is the receiver. Here's a clip. I know that there's something more, Fiona. Something missing from our lives. No, not missing. Something that has been stolen from me and from you. I don't know what it is exactly, but Jonas does. 
So when Jonas is given access to all these memories, he comes to realize his utopian society is actually dystopian. The state took these memories from the people. The state systematically suppresses all the emotions that would come with memories. In short, the state is controlling everything. Kristen, let me ask you, this is based on the Lois Lowry novel from the 90s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this isn't this novel kind of the one that all the other novels yes. are sort of trying to do? Exactly. And I think that one of the big concerns is a lot of people are going to see The Giver and think, oh, this is so derivative. It reminds me completely of Divergent and a little bit of The Hunger Games and I Am Number Whatever. I Am Number Whatever. I Am Number Whatever. But this predates all of them. And I will say this, while some folks are going to go in there and think it feels a little bit too much like these other movies, I do think that there's something different about this. One of the big things that's different, it's not part of a trilogy. It's not a four-hour movie. It's not something that's huge and epic. It's very well contained. It's very efficient. It's very economic storytelling. And it's under two hours. It's so well done. Really? I, I'm just going to play all my cards here. I loved this movie. No kidding. I thought it was so beautifully rendered. And there are whole montages when Jonas is getting memory where he's understanding what world uh, we live in today. And you're seeing moments like Tiananmen Square, the Vietnam War. You're seeing uh. people praying. You're seeing people at funerals. You're, you're seeing weddings. You're seeing all sorts of amazing things that make you kind of in awe about the human condition and about how lucky we are to have things like emotions and connection with people. And, oh, very interesting. And, and it's really well done. And there are a few of those montages. And then, of course, Jeff Bridges is always, you know, yeah. he's kind of created a role for himself as this sort of wise guru over the yes. last few decades. Sure. But he does it really well because he has heart, but he's never corny or schlocky. Right. Never. And then we have as the chief elder for the society, Meryl Streep, and she uh. does such a good job of being simultaneously very much calm and in control and a little bit scary, as well as completely reasonable when she's explaining why human emotions had to be suppressed in this future society. Mm-hmm. She's explaining, do we want to have war back? Do we want starvation? Do we want all of these terrible things that humans do to each other? Sort of like uh, Kate Winslet in um, Divergent. Yes, very similar to that. I'm going to say great date. All right, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that. Let's talk about the indie movie of the week, Frank. So Frank, as we know, is inspired by a real story. It's not completely like this is a real, you know, biopic. No, loosely, a, loosely based. Yeah, but but it's uh, inspired by the real story of John Ronson, the writer who did the psychopath test. He's become kind of like a pop culture and science writer in recent years. But um, it's inspired by his story of how he played briefly with a band led by Frank Sidebottom. He was that avant-garde musician from England who used to play with a giant paper mache head back in the 80s and 90s. And... Um, So this kind of tells the story of a year and a half or so in their lives, how they create the avant-garde music, how they get along as a band, how they come up with their ideas, their personal battles internally about commercial success versus making great art and so on. Here's a clip. Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Maybe. Welcoming smile. Frank, you've been up all night talking to the keyboard player? I'm not just a keyboard player. I write songs, too. You write your own songs? Mm Mm-hmm. I'd love to play some for you sometime. 
I really like that. Big non-threatening grin. Delighted look. Now, this film stars Michael Fassbender, who pretty much the whole time is in a giant paper mache mask mm-hmm. playing Frank. Yes. And then John is played by Donald Gleason, who you know I love. Because he favorite. starred in About Time, one of my favorite movies of last year. Bafflingly, but yes. <laughs> so good. Everyone see it. And then Maggie Gyllenhaal playing one of the very quirky aggro band members. And we have a couple of other weirdo band members also, one who only speaks French and another who's kind of passive aggressive. And yes. um, we have kind of, you know, all your wacky band of avant-garde hipster characters who kind of look like ones that you might see in a skit from Portlandia yes. all in one movie together. Yes, their, their, band, their band name is uh, Unpronounceable. <laughs> It's, a, str- it's like a bunch str- of consonants. <laughs> it's a string of letters that, uh, it, that it, 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 the first five letters appear to be forming some kind of word, and the last six or seven letters clearly aren't forming anything. Um, which is very funny because there are a lot of band names out there exactly like that. And uh, they're so irritating to me. They are. Those bands are just like, oh my God, cut it out, guys. You're trying too hard. My I get it, your is, art. My favorite is Sun O. It's Sun O, and then maybe like seven or eight parentheses and a colon. <laughs> I love I love those bands. I love I those guys. Those more, more power to you. They make me I so say. mad. <laughs> um, well, what did you think of this movie? Did you did you like this? I mean, I I know that sometimes you have a a, a, a contentious relationship with rock movies and hipster movies. Yeah. Kristen. Well, I mean, this movie is a little bit too hipster at points. Now, did you get your back up in this one? But I I did think it was quirky, and I thought it was sweet, and I thought it was smart. I thought some of the um, music making scenes were. Actually, pretty great. Yeah, very, yeah, really, yeah, really good. Uh, all their wacky instrumentation. Yeah, uh, some of some of those scenes are fantastic. Michael Fassbender, bizarrely, with that pa- paper mache head, yes. is still fantastic. Yep. And I think that it did something right that a lot of a lot of the music biopic movies. What I take issue with is they don't know how to find the story in there. They're like, let's cover every single point in this person's life from the time they were born until they OD'd. This doesn't do that. It's just a year and a half or so in the life of this band. And that's all they needed to tell the story. And just on a side note here, I thought that it was perfect how they approached the idea of madness versus genius. Yes, I did too. I um, thought that was really well done. Especially, a... especially this week when Robin Williams died and a lot of people were like, oh, well, that's the cost of genius. And I right. hate that conversation. I think right. that conversation is so pat. It's not smart. And it's not true. The idea that in order to be brilliant, you have to be crazy, or in order to be crazy, you have to be brilliant. And and Donald Gleason's character starts out that way. He starts out as one of these young, uh, naive, uh, aspiring musicians who wishes, uh, like so many people from the suburbs probably do, who, who want to be artists, he wishes that he'd had some kind of turmoil or mental illness or some kind of trauma in his background that would kind of bring the muse. And that's one of the things he envies about Frank, is this guy is so clearly got he's this so damaged. Of, he's so He's so damaged. There's something wrong with him that makes him so great. And uh, it's such a classic, it's such a classic naive idea. And I think they they bring that to life very well. It's also... I love the I love the open, just the opening minute or two, really I think gets at what it's like to be 
creative and not very good and have nothing to say. It's a great, great opening scene with yes. Donald Gleason trying to come up with songs. You're hearing all the crappy songs he's writing in his head. Any little something passes him by. Kids, kids playing. The lady in the red coat. What are you doing? It's it's, oh it's so funny to hear him grasp at straws. And it's, it's, I just thought that was really pitch perfect. I really, really, even though the movie, I think, is a little slight, There's sometimes you feel like there's not a lot of there there to this film. Um, I still thought it was really fun and really sweet and great performances. Everyone's really, really memorable in this film. In the end, I thought it was a really good date. I would say it was a very good date. to listener mail we got this call recently hi guys this is adam from cape cod and i'm thinking about going to see the new hercules and you know the thing is is that it kind of looks like the new transformers of greek mythology it's a little too beefed up for my taste but it got me to thinking that i love retellings of old or ancient tales and you know something completely different comes to mind oh brother where art thou it's incredible retelling of uh, the odyssey so I was wondering if you guys have a favorite uh, movie or favorite movies that are essentially retellings of old tales. Hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling, Adam. Don't go see Hercules. Oh, come on, Rafer. I saw I'm, I'm I also saying. I also saw it. I saw it in a drive-in. See it in a drive-in. Make up with somebody you like. Oh, wow. That's where, how to do it. Where in a drive Where'd you go? Pennsylvania. Oh, no wonder. Okay. <laughs> well, you had a better experience than I did. I saw it alone in a theater. A oh, that theater. sounds so sad. Not that so great. That sounds like a terrible date. That <laughs> was not a great date. It was not even a date. There you go. But let's get to your question here. Yeah. Remakes of ancient tales. There are a lot of remakes of ancient tales, and some of them are good. Some of them are horrible. Um, but Rafer and I each picked out a couple of movies that we think are pretty good that are based on ancient tales. So, Rafer, what are your picks? Uh, I'm going to go, first of all, with Last House on the Left. And most of you, uh, if you know this movie at all, you know it as a uh, shock horror film from 1972. It was one of the first films done by Wes Craven. And it's extremely bloody, extremely brutal, dark, grisly, grisly film. It's fantastic. Um, Roger Ebert was a big fan. He called it an American masterpiece when it came out. Wow. Um, And it is a great film. It is based on the Ingmar Bergman film, of all things, The Virgin Spring, Also a fantastic film, but that, the original story, the basic structure of the story, is based on an old Swedish legend, uh, a a ballad of, I think, from the 12th or 13th century from long, long ago. It's about a um, woman who is raped and killed, and then the uh, perpetrators wind up staying at the house of her parents. And here's a clip. Marie and her friend. I feel like a woman for the first time in my life. Two girls from the suburbs going to the city to have a good time. Oh, uh, this is my roommate, Sam. Hi, girls. That sounds spooky and awful, Rafer. It is. It is, it is a horrifying and just absolutely fantastic movie. I've, I've, I really can't recommend it enough. But there you go. There's your update on an ancient tale. All right. So the update I'm going to recommend is 
The Second Greatest Sex. This is a 1955 Western starring Gene Crane, and it's based on Lysistrata. You might remember that Lysistrata is the story from 400 BC. In this movie, there are three different towns in Kansas, all in the Old West, fighting to be the county seat, and they cannot stop fighting. And the women decide they have no choice but to get the men to behave. So how do they get them to behave? They lock themselves in. They lock the men out. They hold out the sex. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. No (laughs) nookie until the peace treaty. Imagine if that happened right now in Gaza. Oh. End. It would all end. (laughs) If only. Oh, my gosh. If it were that simple, wow. (laughs) If it were only that simple. I bet it is. I bet it is, Kristen. Okay. Uh, All right. I'm going to give you my next pick. It's uh, The Phantom of the Paradise. I'm going back to the 70s here. This one's from 1974. It's a Brian De Palma film. It's basically, it is, yes, of course, a a takeoff on Phantom of the Opera. But what it really is, is a glam rock disco version of the Faust legend in which you've got a uh, aspiring musician who makes a deal with the devil to become rich and famous. And the best thing about this movie is not only, of course, the great Brian De Palma style and all of his old uh, homages to all the old movies, but um, the terrific fashions, the great costumes, and Paul Williams, the guy who wrote Rainbow Connection, plays <gasps> Satan. Here's oh. a clip. From Greece to glitter wow. and beyond. Wow, my brain's exploding. I'm telling you, it's a gem. Oh, wow. It's a gem. Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper is in this movie. An early role for Jessica Harper. Wow. So there you go. A little, little bit Faust, a little bit Phantom of the Opera. Um, I, I've always loved this movie. That's my, that's my final recommendation to you. All right. So I'm going to mention next a movie that you don't agree with. Oh, yeah. I know. So Pygmalion. Yeah. My Fair Lady? No. Pretty Woman, I was going to say. Pretty Woman? Yes. Pretty Woman. So Is that Pygmalion? Don't you think so? Okay. Tell me. So you're going to create a sculpture. You're going to sculpt somebody into the likeness that you want them to be, and then you're going to fall in love with that sculpture, right? Yeah. You don't. That's think... the, that's the Pygmalion myth. That's the Pygmalion myth, and yes, most people agree that that's what's happening in My Fair Lady. You're going to take some poor flower selling merchant pover- impoverished girl, and you're going to dress her up and teach her to speak proper English. Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to sculpt her, fall in love with her, and make her your own. Okay. And. In a way, isn't Pretty Woman the same story? You're taking this prostitute off the street. You're going to take her shopping, dress her up in all the right clothes, teach her how to eat with forks and knives in the right way, teach her how to behave at the horse races and the opera until she's your perfect woman. She's not just a pretty woman anymore. She's your perfect woman. And then you're going to try to rescue her, but she's going to rescue you right back. Here's a clip. You're late. You're stunning. You're forgiven. (laughs) Shall we go to dinner? Kristen, have you ever seen the the one-minute version of Pretty Woman? There's a website that has uh, uh, one-minute versions of all the, all the scripts, one-minute scripts of all the movies. And the Pretty Woman one goes, Julia Roberts, I don't kiss on the lips. Richard Gere, I have millions of dollars. Julia Roberts, smooch. <laughs> That's it. Anyway, okay, you convinced me. But, you convinced but, me. That's Pygmalion. But it's still entertaining. You yes. know what? It's entertaining. I know the politics in the movie, sexual politics and so on. There are a lot of questions and issues there. Problematic. And, and yet, 
It's so enjoyable. It Every is. time it's on, it's hard not to just feel like I'm not going to turn this off. I I'm totally going to just watch agree. it all the way to the end. I can't help it. I'm just going to do it. I'm I can't. Do it. I can't. I can't. I can't deny it. It is. It's a totally fun film. All right, Kristen. How about some trivia? All right. What did we ask last week? Last week we'd been talking about Into the Storm, which uh, the filmmakers said was not really a sci-fi movie, but a cli-fi movie. Ooh, the climate rising up. Yep. In the the press notes, they italicized the cli. (laughs) So, uh, but Kristen (laughs) wisely pointed out, very shrewdly pointed out, this is not the first cli-fi movie that we have seen. Uh, We asked you to name this cli-fi film. I think it's happening. What do you mean? One of our nomad boys registered a 13 degree drop in surface temperature the other day. We got tons of right answers this week, but as you know, we can only randomly choose one each week, and here's the winner. Hi, this is Andrew in New Jersey. Um, when you said that the trivia question was going to be about a cli fi movie, this was the only one I could think of, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to pick that one. But then I did. It was uh, the day after tomorrow, and that particular scene had Ian Holm in it. Um, just started listening to the podcast. Uh, I think it's really great. And uh, I look forward to the next episode. Thanks a lot. Bye. Great job, Andrew. Terrific work. Okay, Kristen. Let's see if we can stump him. What's right. this week's trivia? So we had a couple of movies that have music this week. Frank obviously has music. Right. But The Giver also has music because Jeff Bridges, the carrier of old memories for humankind, as he's bringing back all these old memories, he also introduces us to music. He plays music. He sings. But we all know Jeff Bridges, he sings. He plays music in other movies as well. That's right. Here's a clip of another movie in which he is playing the piano. Another season, another reason for making Whoopi. I bet a bunch of you know the answer to this. If you do, give us a call at 5717movies. Or you can visit our website at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. A lot of shoes, a lot of rice. The groom is nervous. He answers twice. It's really killing that he's so willing. Thank you.